Let's pray as we continue our, our time of worship this morning. Father, we thank you for communion. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the worship now that we continue to participate in as we look more closely at your word. And Father, I pray for our church. I pray for her health. I pray for your spirit to be upon your people. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. Well, we're continuing our look through the book of Ephesians, and we've become a little bit uh, waylaid here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I was talking recently with a, a man who grew up in a predominantly Muslim country, and as we were talking about the, the work that he was involved in right now, I found that he was, he retired from his career, he had immigrated to the United States, had had a, a long career and retired from it, and now was involved in the work of translating sensitive documents and communication for the American government. As I talked with him about his work, he expressed some frustration. He said, you know, I grew up in this culture, and so I understand the meaning behind some of these phrases. I, I understand the, the religious ideology behind some of the communication that's taking place here. And he said, you know, as I, as I give my work to my superiors, sometimes I, I feel that they don't sense the, the full weight of what's being said. And he said, sometimes I, I try to, to add some, some lines in the margin, and, and I try to include some, some comments in a, in a cover letter that, that try to convey the, the real danger that these words represent. He said, there, there's more than meets the eye in a literal translation sometimes. As we're talking about spiritual shepherds, we've talked about some of their attributes last week. We're going to continue to, to talk about the attributes of spiritual shepherds this week. And one of the, the dominant characteristics that we see in the, the attributes of spiritual shepherds this week is a, an attention to danger, the ability to, to discern danger to the flock and, and sense it and, 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 and expose it and, and encourage people through it. As I mentioned, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and our normal strategy is to kind of take a thought at a time and a paragraph and kind of work our way through it. And, and we've come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it's like the, the brakes have been put on a little bit here. And, and uh, I'm a little uncomfortable spending so much time, not just on one verse, but on, on one part of a verse. I bet you didn't know that I could spend two weeks on one part of one verse, but there you are, okay? Uh, I, I actually even talked with, with Pastor Rich and Pastor Art about this. I said, well, this is what I'm doing, guys. I'm a little uncomfortable spending this much time on one part of a verse. And, and uh, you know, they said, look, Daniel, we trust you explicitly. Anything you think is right is what we think is right as well. Um, that's not true at all. But they, they encouraged me. But here's why that we're spending so much time here at Ephesians 4, verse 11. Is because as Paul's been talking about the, the gifts that God has given to the church, and he's, he's talked about the gifts that, that God gave each individual, and he comes to verse 11 and he talks about this, these gifts that he's given to the church at large, we come to this phrase at the end of verse 11 that talks about pastor teachers or, or shepherd teachers, and I believe that it is crucial for our church to understand what these pastor teachers do, who these pastor teachers are, what, who elders are. Because, as I mentioned last week, Lord willing, in about a year and a half, or a little less than a, than a year and a half, our church is going to be installing, Lord willing again, its first elders. And it is absolutely crucial that we as a church understand who elders are, what elders are to be doing, and that we get excited about that. 
we see that vision of what Scripture presents about who elders are, and, and we say, yes, that's what we, we wanted our church as well. And, and my, my goal is that as you, you leave this, this morning, as you exit out the, the doors, you'll just be uh, shouting that the joy that you have as you think about the spiritual shepherds that, that God has provided for us. You'll be that excited about this, this, this uh, idea of these spiritual shepherds. Maybe not that excited, but somewhat excited. And you'll have a passion for these spiritual shepherds that will, that will help shape your ministry and, and the ministries of this church. That You'll say, you know what, uh, this is the type of leadership that I'm committed to submitting to. This is the type of leadership that perhaps God is, is calling me or, or someone I know to. And I'm going to hold the church accountable that this is the type of leadership structure we develop here. And so I, I think, again, it's important that our church as a whole be united in this vision of what leadership is to look like. As I mentioned last week, kind of the, the main idea as we think about all these characteristics is, is that, that we as a church must be committed to be led by men who are going to, through sacrificial leadership, lead the church. We're committed to having men who will care for the flock of God through sacrificial leadership. And we talked about the different characteristics of spiritual shepherds. The, the first characteristic that we looked at last week is that spiritual shepherds are a gift, and so we need to appreciate them. We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and we saw that, that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the pastors and teachers. And as we looked at this characteristic, uh, we saw that, that not only has God given individual gifts to each member of the church, for example, the gift of teaching or the gift of, of, of care or the, the gift of, of helps, uh, not only has he given gifts to each individual, he's also given gifts to the church at large. And one of these gifts is the pastor teacher or the the the, the shepherd. We talked about different terms that Scripture uses to describe the, the same office. Sometimes Scripture uses the word uh, elder to describe these spiritual shepherds. Sometimes Scripture uses the, the term overseer to describe these spiritual shepherds. And sometimes, as it does here in verse 11, it uses the phrase pastors, and that word pastor can also be translated shepherd. So pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, all these terms refer to the same office. And not only do they refer to the same office, but all these people who make up this, this office share in the responsibility of shepherding the church. They all have, in, in a local church, all the elders have equal authority, all have the equal responsibilities to, to do these things in, in some senses. And, and yet, as we saw last week, sometimes there are elders within this group who have special functions. So, for example, uh, sometimes uh, Paul tells Timothy that elders who, who rule well are, are worthy of double honor, that is, of, of getting paid. And so sometimes in that group of elders, they set aside a man or, or, two, or two or three men to, to say, you know what, you're, you're going to be in charge of, of uh, leading the church, and, and this is your full-time occupation. And so they set aside men to do that. Sometimes uh, in the context of, a, of an elder board or a group of men who are functioning as elders of a church, uh, sometimes you find that in that group, one has greater, uh, greater influence over the group. And so, for example, you might have a, a group of elders, and, and one guy is a little bit older or, or a lot older and has, has walked with the Lord for many years, and, and so there's a natural deference that the other elders show to that, to that elder because of his walk with the Lord. And, and that's certainly true in our leadership team. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a young guy, and there's some, some guys that, that are actually all the guys that are older than I am, and, and so there's a natural deference that I show to, to some of the men who've walked with the Lord a lot longer than I have, okay? 
Bottom line, God has given these men to lead his church, and our responsibility, as we talked about last week, is to appreciate these elders, these shepherds that God has given the church. And as I mentioned last week, I have no word of correction for anyone on how they treat the leadership. I'm excited. I believe it's to your benefit the way that you encourage and support the leaders of our church and keep on keeping on. And that's, uh, that's my word of encouragement there. The second characteristic we looked at of, of spiritual shepherds last week is that spiritual shepherds are to be qualified. And so the application there is that we need to choose them very carefully. We looked at 1 Timothy and we looked at, at Titus and we saw that these uh, shepherds are chosen in, in a variety of ways. Or we see in other places in Scripture, sometimes Paul and Barnabas would appoint them. Sometimes the congregation would, would put forward men. Uh, sometimes uh, an individual leader would appoint other el- elders, like we see in the uh, Titus, when Paul tells Titus, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there's a variety of ways by which these men are chosen. And yet, and yet th- there are some qualifications for these people who would take upon this mantle of leadership. Uh, we see there, as we look at, uh, at Titus and at 1 Timothy, the overarching quality of these men is that they are above reproach, and all the other qualities fall underneath that, that characteristic, that they are men who are above reproach. So the application is to, to choose them carefully, and as we begin to the process of, of choosi, choosing elders at Bethany Community Church, uh, your goal is to be praying for that process. Your goal is to be holding us accountable as we present men and as, as you uh, put forward uh, men for this, these positions that you would say, you know what, do they really fulfill the requirements of, of 1 Timothy and, and Titus? And we'll continue talking about that in the months to come. Well, now let's move on to the, the ones that we weren't able to get to last week. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's, it's past, 1 Peter's past all the T-books, it's past Hebrews, James, and then you come to to 1 Peter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and we see this characteristic of shepherds, that shepherds are to oversee the flock, so submit to them. Shepherds are to oversee the flock, so submit to them. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul, or Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." And so this third characteristic is that shepherds are to be are to oversee the flock, submit to them. Let's look at just a couple things that we see in this passage about spiritual shepherds and about the relationship to the ministry that they have. First of all, Peter's main command here is to, to shepherd. And as he talks about shepherding, the type of shepherding that he's describing here is an overseeing, a, a, a kind of a leadership shepherding. And sometimes when I talk to people about elders leading a church, there are people from different church backgrounds who have seen this exercise very poorly, and they get a little bit nervous. You know, like, well, are you talking about putting a lot of power in just a, a few men's hands? Uh, do you know where that could lead? Uh, well, he, let, me, let me just describe it this way. This type of leadership that Peter describes here is a 180-degree turn away from leadership as the world understands leadership. 
the biblical leadership that Peter is describing here is a sacrificial serving leadership, the same type of leadership that, that a husband is to exercise in the home, not domineering, Peter says here, not domineering those who are, are underneath him, but this, this idea is that a church leader is to be the greatest servant in the church. A church leader must comprehend this truth if he is to be a true leader in the church, uh, this truth that spiritual leadership is a sacrificial leadership. Uh, Peter is describing here the, the type of shepherding that, that's sacrificing, and, and it, you say, he says you exercise oversight not under compulsion but, but, but willingly. In verse 3, not, not domineering over those in your charge but being an example. That's the type of leadership that a, a leader is to exert in the church. And think about all the different things that a biblical shepherd is to do in the church. Think about all the responsibilities that an elder has. An elder in the church is, is what does James 4 tell us? An elder in the church is to, to pray for the, the flock. If any among you is, is sick, James says, let them call for the elders and they'll become and they'll, they'll pray for you. And so a, a shepherd, a, a servant of the church, a leader of the church is, is to be the first one there to, to pray for you when things aren't going well. A leader in the church is also in charge of, of preparing other people for ministry person comes and says, you know, I feel God calling me to this ministry, either lay or vocational. The elders in the church should be the, the first people there to say, well, let's, let's encourage you in that. Let's talk about how you feel God's calling you toward that. Let us, let us, let us see ministry in your life, and, and we're going to give you more, opp more opportunities for ministry so that God can either continue to, to confirm that calling or, or God can, can confirm that you're wrong in that calling. And so that's what a, a shepherd, an elder, is doing. An elder is also taking primary responsibility for, for setting things like church policy. And in some churches uh, that, that have understood elder leadership incorrectly, oftentimes the, the elders, the people that are setting church policy to kind of control, to kind of uh, consolidate power. But that's not the type of, of church leadership that God calls us to. Uh, church leaders are not to be empowering themselves, but empowering other people to do the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4, 11 is all about. The context of spiritual gifts, every person having spiritual gifts, and now God has given this additional spiritual gift, to, or this additional gift to the entire church so that pastor teachers can equip other people to be able to do their ministries. It was never the idea of Scripture that elders, that shepherds would consolidate power among themselves. You think about other things that, that shepherds are called to do. They're, they're to handle finances, and they're to, to, to help people uh, as, as, they, as they stray away from the truth, and they're to protect the flock, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. They're also, as they do these things, First Peter tells us, they're to have the right heart attitude as they engage in ministry. They're not to be doing these things under compulsion. You don't find a guy that's very gifted and, and twist his arm and say, become an elder. Uh, you say, look, if God is calling you to this, this is perhaps a ministry that you would consider. You also think about their heart attitude towards, towards the finances. Look at what he says here in, uh, in, in verse 2. He says they're, they're exercising uh, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, and not for sordid gain, not for financial reasons, but eagerly. And so a church works to protect its elders as the elders put, put things in place that will protect them from charges of, of misusing funds. As we mentioned last week, one of the ways that we show appreciation for our spiritual leaders is sometimes to, to give them pay. Uh, for example, I mentioned that, that the church pays me and, and, and has provided for my family in, in amazing ways. Now, I believe that as a church pays a person in order to, to be able to focus full-time on the ministry, there's responsibilities that that individual has and that the church has as well. 
That individual needs to be very careful about the accountability of his finances and his family's finances. Uh, things need to be kind of a, an open book in some areas of his life so that people can know that he's, he's using the funds that God has entrusted to him in a wise way. He needs to be very careful with the stewardship of his time. The church is, is, has, uh, you know, people are, are giving so that he can be focused on the, the task of, of gospel pr- proclamation. And he needs to make sure that that's what his, his time is focused on. He's not abusing the time that the church has entrusted to him. And at the same time, I think the church has a responsibility to make sure that the gospel is not tainted in one of two ways. If they have the means to provide for this pastor, they need to make sure that they provide for him in such a way that the community doesn't look at that person and say, well, that, that person isn't really being provided for. That church is hoarding on to its resources, and, and this guy is living at, at a poverty level, and, and the gospel, I believe, is, is tainted by, by that. The other side of the coin is that a church needs to be uh, careful not to have its pastor open to accusations of, of profiting off the gospel. Oh, where a, a pastor lives in this, this uh, you know, great luxury and, and it's clear that it's, or it's, it's possible that people say, well, you know, that person's just in the ministry so they can get rich off of, of people and, and take their money. So there's a way that a church is very careful to make sure that its elders don't fall into this accusation of working for shameful gain, as Peter describes it here. These elders also work tirelessly. There's, this is the key to biblical leadership. The, the elders should be the hardest workers in the church. As they engage, some of them have, have careers outside of the, the church, and so they're, they're working at, at, their, at their workplace, and then they're, they're coming and they're giving of their time to, to work at the church as well. And, and other people are able to look at their tireless effort and say, well, that's the, the type of ministry that I need to emulate. I was talking to, to someone last week, and as they they, they caught me going out the door, and they, they said, how are things going? I said, they're going great. They said, are, are you getting burned out? I said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I've known two other church plant pastors, and, and both of them uh, got burned out. I said, really, how long did it take them, just out of curiosity? I said, three years. I said, I'm good then. I've got two more years to go until, uh, no, I, I said, I, I'm fine, you know, and, for several reasons, one of which I believe I'm not going to do any ministry beyond what God has enabled me to do. I'm doing ministry through his empowerment, and whenever he stops giving me the power to, to do things in a given week, I stop, or at least I, I try to stop. Uh, secondly, because I'm not doing this on my own. You know, we have other men in leadership. Uh, ben is, is an amazing asset. The, the guys that serve on the leadership team are, are you know, I, and I believe many of you know, Ben and, and many of these other men are, are going to be moving into elder roles, and, and they're already practicing that, that spiritual shepherding. And so uh, I'm not doing this ministry alone, and yet at the same time, I hope that I'm working tirelessly, and I hope that, that all of us in spiritual shepherd, shepherding are, are working tirelessly. Uh, we're sacrificing for the benefit of the flock. Now, the application, I believe here, is right. Uh, Submit to your leadership that God has provided to oversee the flock. But we also understand there are limits to the leadership. There's limits to the type of of leadership that that, uh, biblical leaders have. If they ask you to do something that is not in accordance with God's word, say, well, that's simply not something I can do. We aren't blind followers. We're followers who take every thought captive to the word of God. And so we are Bereans. We carefully study the scripture and make sure that the ways that the leadership is, is leading us are in accordance with God's word. Now what happens whenever the leaders begin to lead in a way that's not in accordance with God's word? Well, then we don't follow them. But what happens, and this is more often the case, what happens whenever the leaders begin leading in a way that's not contrary to scripture, it's, it's a wisdom issue, but you think, you know what, if I was in that 
position of leadership, what would I do? And if you've never come to that point in your life where that's, that's happened in a church, either you, ha- you haven't been in, in church long enough or you haven't really thinking, okay? There's going to be moments, if you continue your time here at Bethany Community Church, where the leadership makes a decision, big or small, that's just not the way that you would do it. What's the biblical way to respond in submission? I think there's a couple things. I think, one, you have the responsibility, if it's a big enough issue, to, to go to the leadership and say, you know what, I'm not sure if this is a wise course of action. And as you go to them, your, your job and your, your heart attitude isn't, I'm going to show these leaders what, what big doofuses they are. And as soon as they hear my idea, the whole room was just going to go, wow, why didn't we think of it like that? And, and that's, my, that's not my goal as I go in there. My goal is to consider what God is laying on the leader's heart and, and then be in submission to it. But to communicate what I believe that, that God would have them think about as well. Also, if, if the leadership, you know, miracle of miracles doesn't go along with my idea, what do I do after I leave that, that meeting or that time of discussing with them? My goal isn't to go around and talk about it with other people in the church. A hard attitude of submission says, you know what, I'm going to submit in my heart and externally as well. I'm not going to, to try to, to go around and, and convince people to, to see things my ways. I'm not, I'm not going to gossip about these things. I'm going to do my part to be an obedient to God, obedience to God's word and be very, very careful to promote unity in the church. Furthermore, if the leaders begin leading one way and it blows up in their face and I knew it wasn't the best way to go, I'm not going to go gloating around. Well, maybe next time the leaders will listen to me. We're saying, you know what? God's hand is sovereign in this, and I'm still going to be in submission. You know, I, I think there's a lot of parallels within a, a marriage relationship as well. And, and one, of the, the, one of the most encouraging things to me in my marriage is, is Whitney's attitude whenever things don't go well in an area that I let in. She doesn't gloat about it. She doesn't say, well, now, finally, you'll see the light and begin listening to me uh, only. And, and she's very gracious and accepting uh, whenever I, I lead in a way that, that maybe wasn't the, the perfect way. The bottom line is this. Christ's church is not a democracy. We don't vote on everything. Christ's church is not a dictatorship. We don't have a bunch of individuals or, or a group of people that, that are making all the shots and giving proclamations from on high. Christ's church is not some smoke-filled back room where we cut deals with each other trying to promote personal agendas. Christ's church is a body, and the head of that body is Jesus Christ himself. And we as leaders and all of us as followers as well are praying for men to be leading our church who are leading in a sacrificial way, sacrificial leadership. Fourth characteristic of spiritual shepherds is this. Spiritual shepherds are to teach the flock. They're to teach the flock, listen to them. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 9, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. A couple thoughts here from Hebrews chapter 13. First of all, 
the writer of Hebrews is saying to remember the leaders, remember them specifically and the things that they taught you. He says also you need to, to watch their lives and imitate their faith. And I think the idea is this, that as a, a solid biblical teacher teaches, there should be a fruit in their life as well. Right doctrine leads to right action. And so you watch, you listen to their teaching, and then you imitate their faith as well. I think that the writer of Hebrews is, is wanting us to be very careful to make sure that we're listening to the right teachers. What's the application? Well, listen to them, okay? Understand that there are good teachers, and in Christ's church, well, in Christ's church there are good teachers, and then there are also, that infiltrate their way into Christ's church, bad teachers. And we must be very careful to find good teachers who are in submission to the Word of God, and then we need to do those things that are necessary to, to listen to them well. I was reading a book by, uh, I believe it was John Stott, Between Two Worlds, and in the book he talks about this guy, and as he this guy has this problem that um, I'm sure none of you have ever struggled with. I will just, I'm going to be transparent. I have fallen asleep in church before, okay? I'll admit it. Now, I, I've, I've talked to, you know, I was talking to Davine one time, and, and bless Davine, she has never fallen asleep listening to Pastor Rich or, or me, she, she claims. And I believe her. I am not as, as uh, I'm not as attuned as I need to be, and I sometimes don't worship God well on Saturday night, Okay? Now, so what, here's what this guy did in order to, to keep his attention. I think it's a good, a good thing for all of us. He began to, to have like mental debates with the preachers he was talking. Not in, a, not in an ungodly way, like I'm going to think about how he's wrong, but he tried to, to take the arguments that the, the pastor was, was, uh, was giving, and he, he, would, he was a note taker, and so he'd take notes, and maybe that's something that helps you as well. And He would try to reword the statements. He was doing everything he could to engage with the text and engage the, the, teaching, the, the teaching that was going on. And, and I would encourage you to do that as well in your Sunday school class and whenever you're engaged in a, in a Bible study on a Sunday morning. Uh, take notes, do whatever it takes to help you listen to godly teaching. Another good thing that, that uh, I found that, that helps me is to not only take notes, but then try to, to teach it to someone else. And, and dads, this is a great opportunity for you on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night to get together as a family and say, let's, let's talk about what we learned together in church today. Shepherds are to teach the flock, so listen to them. Last characteristic here is this. Shepherds are to guard the flock, so pray for them. We've already looked at the first part of Acts chapter 20, but let me read verses 28 through 30 again. Paul, remember he's talking to these elders. He says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to, to draw away the disciples after them. A couple things we notice here as Paul speaks to these, to these Ephesian elders. First of all, Christ's church, Christ's church is precious to him. The men and the women and the children who make up Bethany Community Church are precious to God. He has purchased you with his own blood. And I as a pastor and other spiritual shepherds would do well to remember that. That God has entrusted us with precious people. Furthermore, we see here as Paul talks to these elders from Ephesus, there are going to be people 
who come in and would damage this precious flock. The flock is in danger, and furthermore, it's in danger from unexpected sources. I don't anticipate someday someone walking through the door to this room and coming in and shouting curses to God. I don't believe that's going to happen. But I believe it's inevitable that people are going to come to this church who have a wrong understanding about who Jesus is and in their their conversations with other people as they talk about Jesus and as they talk about the person of God, it's inevitable that they're going to begin to say wrong things. My task as a spiritual shepherd, the task of other spiritual shepherds, is to guard the flock, is to understand how precious the people in this room are, how precious the people, the souls of the people who God has entrusted to us are, and to be very vigilant in understanding and exposing wrong teachings about God. See a couple things here. We see not only are they to pay careful attention to themselves and the flock, but the preciousness, but he calls these people fierce wolves, not sparing the flock. Council of Nicaea in, in 325 AD, there was a bishop of Alexandria. And this bishop of Alexandria saw that there was a person in his flock that was teaching this, this wrong teaching. This, guy, this guy's name was Arius. He was teaching a heresy that would be, become known as Arianism, and it, it denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And as Arius began teaching this teaching, they, the bishop of Alexandria convened a, a council, a, the first council of the church, and, and all these men came together, all these bishops from different regions of, of, uh, the Christian, of Christianity. And many of them were uncertain about how dangerous Arius' teaching really was. And then, it, in fact, they wanted to, to promote this, this compromising position, but the Bishop of Alexandria stood firm and said, no, this is, this is heresy, and we, we must remove it from the church. He's denying the deity of Jesus Christ. And they began to, to talk about it, and then at one, one point in the council, at the Council of Nicaea, a bishop stands up, a guy named Eusebius, and he begins to read a statement of Arianism. As he begins to read this heresy, bishops cover their ears, they begin to shout him down, and, and one bishop walks over to Eusebius, takes the manuscript out of his hand, throws it on the floor, and begins to stomp on it because they're offended by the proclamation that is wrong about the person of Jesus Christ. And here is my concern, brothers and sisters. We don't have overseers like that in many churches today. People who will say, this is wrong teaching about God. This is heresy, and we will not tolerate it. There are many examples I could give. Let me just, let me give a very gentle example, okay? Let me say this very gently, because I know this is a book that, that many of you have, have enjoyed and, and, and talked about. But there's a book that, that I read recently called uh, The Shack. And uh, this is a book that's, that's just a number one seller in, in Christian circles, and there are some, some very lovely things in this book, some, some very beautiful pictures that it paints. But as I've talked with people about the problems in this book, as, I, as, I've, as I've gone on internet sites and, 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 engage, and seen the, the dialogue, the, the exchanges about this book, what I, what I, well, first of all, there, there's heresy in the book about the person of God. It denies the, the hierarchy of the, the Trinity. It, it denies some things about uh, the, the, the glory of God, the sovereignty of God. It, it has a wrong understanding of the purpose of suffering. So there are some, some things in this, this book that concern me. But what concerns me equally is that some, some people's reaction 
on these internet sites uh, to people that, that call out the errors in the book. And they said, look, it's not a theological book. It, it's a book that's designed to, to impact living. Okay? And the, the message of, of Acts and the message that we saw in Hebrews is, look, right doctrine impacts our living. And we need people in the church that, that, that can discern the, the truth from the error and can say, you know what, yeah, th- these are some good things, and yet at the same time, here are the concerns. And let me just say this, you know, pray for my wife, all right? Imagine being married to me. It, it's not a very pleasant idea. Uh, God has given my wife just some incredible grace. No one likes to be the social gadfly, the naysayer, and <laughs> no one likes to be married to that guy either, right? But there have been times where I've been an unpopular guy at banquets, at lunches, at, at all different kinds of social settings because of the need to protect the flock. I was at a banquet recently, and a, go- a gospel message was presented that wasn't the gospel message. It was not the gospel message. It, it did not talk about the reality of sin and, and punishment for sin. It didn't describe faith alone in Jesus Christ. It merely talked about just beginning a friendship with God. And, and after the banquet, someone from our, our church came up to my wife and I and talked about, wasn't that a great gospel message? And, and I said, no, that wasn't the gospel, okay? And, you know, Whitney goes, oh, dear, here it goes again. <laughs> it's the job of a shepherd. It's the job of a shepherd, and you, what you need to do, all of us need to do, is pray. Pray for the flock and pray for discernment. Because as we confront error, we don't want to be these, these ungracious people we don't want to, to, to just kind of run ruptured. We've got the truth and no one else has it. We want to be very gracious as we talk about preserving the gospel message. And we want to major on the major things and be gracious in the minor things. It's a hard balance to strike. My fear, though, is the pendulum has swung so far over to where we're not willing to call anything heresy anymore. We need to be very careful as a flock. We need to be careful as spiritual shepherds to guard the flock. We need to pray for spiritual leaders. You can, t- well, I, you can tell, this is taking me two weeks, and I still haven't said everything, everything I wanted to do, but I'm going I'm to call it, a, gonna call it a, a, a sermon series here. I'm passionate about this. I am passionate. Whenever we began this church planning process a year and a half ago, I said, look, there's a lot of things that we need to do to start this church. We need Sunday schools. We need, a, we need a worship service. We need all these things. You know what, though? Tier one, main priority, developing spiritual shepherds. I said, that's more important than anything else I have on my plate is, is for God to raise up people who will be spiritual shepherds. And I believe God has, has blessed that in amazing ways. Pray that God would continue to do that. Get fired up. Get fired up about godly leaders in your church and, and get excited about the possibility of, of God raising up elders in our church in the next year. And, and pray for God as, as he, that he would give us wisdom as we establish this process. It's not... It's, it's, it's for your benefit. It's for all of our benefits, for God to raise up godly leaders who will be committed to the truths of Scripture and enable us to experience the joy of sacrificial leadership. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the men and that you are going to raise up by your grace. We pray that you'd give them great unity, great wisdom, great joy. We pray this for the name of your son, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen.